Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show recording from inside the bowels. Daytona International Speedway in the Media Center here for the good old Rolex 24 at Daytona. Trying out a new little podcasting rig, a little miniature one. Hopefully this all comes across well in sound, not vision, but sound. Big thanks to y'all for the questions you sent in. Going to fire into them in just a moment. Before that, though, big thanks as well to our friend Jerry Sudduth for putting all of the questions together. Been a blast here at Daytona. We have 15 of the 27 full-time IndyCar drivers on the grid. Also popped down to Homestead for a little more than half a day on Tuesday. Oh, it was good to see IndyCars in action, (laughs) y'all. It was really good to see all them moving around. So we're going to get into your questions in just a moment. But before we do... Time to say a big thank you to our show partners on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, starting with FAF Technologies, build-to-print composites manufacturing company. They're specializing in medium-to-large-scale automotive, motorsports, and military applications. Visit faftechnologies.com. It's P-F-A-F-F technologies.com to learn more about their services and how they can benefit your business. Next, it's the Justice Brothers, makers of premium additives, lubricants, and cleaners, been servicing the automotive and motorsports industries for more than 85 years, with victories in all the biggest North American motor races, including the Indianapolis 500, the 24 Hours of Daytona. The Justice Brothers products are truly race-proven. Learn about their vast history and range of offerings at justicebrothers.com. If you're fond of awesome motor racing collectibles, including FAF Motorsports McLaren gear and goodies, pay a visit to torontomotorsports.com. And finally, we have a new online merchandise home for the podcast, thepruittstore.com, where all the show stickers, models, racing memorabilia I'm trying to sell and put towards our fun to buy a house is now live and rocking, thepruittstore.com. All right, let's get rolling once again. Big thanks to Jerry. Also, if you want to join a rather amazing and growing family of racing fans, just amazing people, fun people, if you like positivity and humor and real camaraderie, check out the description here in the show. You might want to join the Day listener group. Oh, boy, those folks are hilarious. Many of them have become very good friends. They indeed do love their daily racing chats that they do, all kind of private through Discord. Also get together at the tracks and have fun together as a group. So if you're looking for a racing family to join, this is one that I would highly recommend considering. So check out the description. I believe you send an email. They'll get back to you real quick. Join you along this fun little motor racing journey we are on with the good old Prue day all right let's get going here with your questions where we're going to go first well got down to that homestead test did indeed see our friend jack harvey testing got a question here from nathan derover kyle ward i think you had one similar as well said i'm sure every team and situation is different but we did see jack harvey testing for dale Coyne. is that a situation where jack would have to pay dale for a test not that I know of. No, uh, I don't believe there was anything like that there for Jack. As he told me, it was an invite from Dale to come test. 
really happy that Dale did that. I was a little bit worried, to be honest. Knew that all the teams were meant to be there. The other nine were, for sure, but I wasn't sure if Coyne was going to show up in the weeks leading up to that three-day run at Homestead Monday through Wednesday. Not because Coyne's bad or anything like that, but just knowing they didn't have any of their drivers sorted out, ready to sign for next year. Just wasn't sure if they were going to be there with so much business left to get done. And so when I did hear that they would be there, and when I did hear that Jack was going to be the driver, that made me not only super happy for Jack, but to know that Coin was saying, hey, we need to be here for us, for our competitive benefit, regardless of who is going to end up being in the car. That ended up being Jack. Saw Dale Coin was here at Daytona last Saturday during the Roar. Know that he met, I believe, with Colin Brown. Also met for sure with Nolan Siegel. Ended up doing a quick deal for Nolan to get his first day of testing in. In an IndyCar, did that on Wednesday, the final day. He was quick like a bunny. <laughs> it was so cool talking to him afterwards. And he sounded happy, as you would expect. Love the experience. But he had the one thing you want to hear from a young driver. He's 19. First time in an IndyCar. Want to hear that reverie? Want to hear that, wow, it was fast and everything was great? You want to hear those things. The thing you want to hear has nothing to do with speed and performance is a lack of awe. Blew him away, but not to the point of his eyes just being totally wide. And, oh, my goodness, what was that? There was a bit of a blasé to uh, the conversation, and I loved it. Because I said, okay, this kid, uh, we've known how good he is, and he's going to get better, and we really do hope to see that he's going to be an IndyCar come 2025. But the thing that was great to hear most of all from Nolan was, went about the way that he hoped. All made sense. Didn't phase him. This is something that made absolute sense to him, and that was his reaction. I'm like, good. Sometimes a young driver, super talented, might have their head spun out a little bit. Need some time to process. Maybe need another test to really get on top of things. For him, it was like, yeah, it was cool. Let's do more. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's what I want to hear. You're right there with the car. It's not ahead of you. You're right there in line with it. So loved hearing that. And yeah, he's my preseason pick for the Indian XT title. I think he'd be most people's pick based on... Three wins, was it, as a rookie? Two, three wins. I think five podiums. Uh, finished third in the standings. I think he's going to be a, a definite threat this season for the title. Be very surprised if we do not have Nolan Siegel in IndyCar in 2025. And this test, for sure, should signal that this kid done all the proper training. He'll be ready at the end of 2024. Uh, a little bit of coffee there. In a, uh, what is this? In a blender bottle. You might go, but wait a minute, dummy. That's not what blender bottles are for. To which I say you're totally correct. But if you're traveling a lot and your luggage gets thrown around in airplanes and wherever else, you want to have something you can transport each day that isn't too heavy but carries your coffee, 
Uh, I started doing this years ago, and it works for me. Maybe not you, but uh, there you go. Uh, saw our friend Taylor Kyle, by the way, outside just a moment ago, looking all good in his black Cadillac Ganassi livery presentation there, looking like Johnny Cash. Taylor, one of the team managers from the Ganassi IndyCar side, who also doubles over here on sports cars. Just great to see him. That's part of what this month is for many of us, to be honest, where it feels like the first day of school kind of thing. We're like, oh, hey, haven't seen you in a while. How you doing? What's new? What's going on? And even if you've spoken with the person, which I've spoken with Taylor uh, during the offseason, but nonetheless, just always fun to see all these uh, knuckleheads that you work with all year. Why don't we go to Darren King? says, I'd love to know how the contract or relationships work with things like the Rolex. Say Marcus Erickson leaves Ganassi but races for him in the 24? Well, uh, he's not, Darren. Uh, Marcus Erickson, not part of Ganassi's Rolex 24 lineup. He is part of the Andretti lineup on the Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Acura side. So no linkage there. He'll say Scotty McLaughlin races for Penske, but not at the 24. Say, if I'm Erickson, I want to watch Ganassi burn. How does that work? Explain everything, please. All right, so we covered off the Erickson thing. Just a, um, yeah, update that not only did he leave Ganassi, but uh, he's certainly not driving for Ganassi in anything. So uh, there's a bit of a nothing burger there. The Scotty part's a, a real thing that I don't understand. Joseph Newgarden. His teammate on the IndyCar side with Penske has been chosen by Penske and Porsche to drive for them in the factory Porsche 963 Hybrid GTP. Not Scotty Mack, though. Would have thought he would be a no-brainer with his sports car history. Driving in P2, Juan Sebring last year. Huge, huge for him, but not totally sure why Joseph got the invite, but not Scotty. Um, but that's the decision they have made. Let's go to Steve Grinstead. Matt Owen, I know you asked a similar question. Say, Marshall, can a 2023 or 2024 spec IndyCar race on the Daytona road course? Do you have any estimate potential lap times compared to the classes in this year's 24-hour race? You'll say you've been able to find any acceptable beer selections in Florida. Kind of you to say here. Best wishes to my wife, Shabrell, and our cats. Haven't done any beer searching <laughs> yet, Steve, but I do know great Prude member and friend Ryan Caminiti uh, has dropped off two beers, <laughs> and so I brought those to the track. Don't tell anybody. Um, I might be enjoying those but while out shooting or something during the race. Um, yeah. Uh, how do I say this in the kindest of ways? When I've gone beer hunting in Florida before, in whatever region where the race is happening that I'm at. But I don't know if I've been overly impressed with the variety. A lot of things you would expect. A lot of things you can find kind of anywhere. The beers that I like that you can't see through. Uh, that kind of look like teriyaki. Yeah. The struggle a little bit to find those. So. Uh, IndyCar could run on the Roval need to raise the ride height quite a bit because there's a significant crash that happens every lap coming out of the infield onto the banking. That's something that there'd need to be some adjustment for that. As for lap time, I have no clue. Um, no clue at all. It would depend on the 
spec chosen by IndyCar, knowing that we're going on to a big oval, super speedway for a lot of the lap. What aero spec would they choose? If it was a higher downforce one, lap time probably wouldn't be insane. If it was more of a speedway spec, more of like a Texas compromise, be many, many seconds faster uh, than a higher downforce IndyCar spec. So one of those things that's impossible to say unless uh, this is something that's in iRacing. And if so, y'all go do that, run those laps, and tell us. Uh, Eric Franklin, you say if Sebring has always been the standard for testing that replicates street courses, what is Homestead? Permanent road course? Street course? What is it? thing I heard from drivers in particular and some race engineers was if we wanted an alternate to Sebring, the low gripness <laughs> here is so significant that if there was a benefit that applied to any type of track, Eric, it'd be street courses. I don't know if anybody that I spoke with said, and let's start coming here as well as Sebring. More of what I heard, and Scott Dixon told us in the video that we did for Racer, I don't know if there's anything we do here that really truly applies to other tracks. So if we were to try to find that one little positive, it would be on the maybe the street course side. Even that felt like it was a bit of a push. So I don't know if it's a place they'd want to go back to voluntarily just for testing. The oval itself, though, I know folks would love, love to go back and race on the big oval. Andy Bauer, you say, Marshall, in one of your recent racer articles, you mentioned the new 2024 components, cut about 30 pounds from the car, and each 10 pounds is worth about a tenth of a second, depending on the track. So does that ratio hold for Indy? If so, could that mean 236 miles an hour is in play for qualifying? It could be. It could be. Uh, if you take the annual horsepower gains, that Chevy and Honda fine, which is not a ton, but knowing that we go to high boost for qualifying, I'd say we could be flirting with something. And again, 30-ish pounds is not a giant number in a car that weighs rolling to the grid more or less full of fuel with the driver in it. Like Indy cars have become just porky. 1980-ish pounds, 1985 maybe. Again, not every team goes to grid topped up with fuel, but if you think about the car with almost all of the weight in it, with the driver strapped in, drink bladder, whatever liquid they have there, the weight of that, full to f almost full fuel tank, we're almost at 2,000 pounds. That's not too far from like a GTP car. So taking 30 pounds off helps without a doubt. And that will indeed be something that helps going down the long straights at Indianapolis, the corners as well. There's less mass you need to truck around. Still. 30 pounds on a 1,600-pound IndyCar, that'd be huge. 
30 pounds on something that's not too far away from 2,000, between 1,900 and 2,000. More drops in a bucket than uh, gallons. So should make it possible. Weather conditions are going to obviously dictate whether that is something that could be done, but there's a reason for us to imagine. So definitely on the right track here, Andy. Daniel Ingleton, you say, MP, what do you think McLaren's expectations for David Malukas will be this season? For him to be classed as having a successful year? Great question, Daniel. They have no clue <laughs> what they're going to get from him. And I don't say that in a, a critical way. Took a bit of a flyer. Spoken about Zach Brown with this. Spoken with the team about this. They love the kid. Think he has shown phenomenal potential. Really impressed on ovals, say more than road courses, but really impressed. And I think in general, they're staring at someone who they believe could be crazy, crazy, crazy good. He has not been able to prove that, though, in a consistent manner in his two seasons with Dale Coyne. Don't know if I really put that on him so much, right? Midfield team, good team, but not a front runner. Rookie, sophomore driver as well. Can only ask so much from them in that environment. But even so, he has really and truly shown that he has potential. But that potential has been unrealized. So I'll just share that bit of background, Daniel. Because that's what McLaren is looking at. Hey, we think he could be phenomenal. We're going to give him all the coaching and engineering and everything we know that he might need to be good at what he does. we got to see it happen, though. So what would be considered a successful year? I think if he is matching Rossi in terms of results, I think if he is... In the mix, top six, top eight on a regular basis, I think that has to be looked at as a super successful year. Nobody that I know expects him to outrun Pato, but that's part of the fun discovery of this season. I don't know what his salary is, but I know that this is not something that McLaren has invested crazy sums over a super long term and you know this needs to pay off I'd say the correct way to look at this Daniel is a bit of a experiment nobody that jumped out is the perfect fit that they could get to put in that car to replace Felix David ended up being the right fit for what they were able to get he has great great opportunity in front of him but I don't know if the team has any hard metrics they're looking for him to meet do this amount of this that amount of that end of the year we're good so I think the, the right mindset I would take it or suggest to Daniel this is something where they're going to go for the ride see what they get from that then make a decision do we continue I have to believe this is all going to work out positively. And they're going to say, hey, keep coming back. Let's keep doing stuff. 
this is very much a year where they're waiting to see what he shows them, what he tells them uh, they should do. And I love that, right? I love the, hey, here's a big opportunity. Prove that you deserve it by your results, and we'll keep doing this for a good long while. There's also the downside. If things do not work out, if the results are more tenths and twelfths and not being right there as a compliment to Pato in terms of finishing results, and he's either in or around Rossi a little bit, but behind Rossi at a few too many races, I know that they, I understand or believe they have the uh, ability to look at others and move on if necessary. Michael Bragg, you're up next. You say, if IndyCar did a throwback race, what liveries from IndyCar history would you like to see? Oh, boy. Only issue here, Michael, and it's not a real issue. It's just having to think through the problems that would get thrown up uh, by teams and or sponsors. So many of the liveries that I love most are tied to some sort of brand or otherwise. So... I think in 1987, that very first Porsche, that Quaker State livery, I loved it. Even the, I think the unveiling version, where I believe they had white wheels on it with the green. It just looked amazing. Very in-period Quaker State. Is that something they still do color-wise? I don't know. I'd love to see that. But again, for many folks, they would have no clue what it was, no association or ties to it. But that one stands out probably the late 80s Miller Lite as well. guess I'm falling into the late 80s here. I don't know why. Danny Sullivan's 1988 IndyCar Championship winning livery there with Miller. That looked absolutely beautiful. Boy, what else? I'm going to go with those two for now. Love to hear more of what y'all think would be the retro livery you'd like to see. If so, if you happen to catch this on good old X slash Twitter, whatever else, reply and tell us because I do love these kinds of things. If anything, that should be a question I throw out in front of an upcoming episode to get your thoughts to include and read those off here. So we'll just do that instead. Great idea, Michael, I'm giving you here. Thank you. Uh, Patrick Sage, you say with Netflix getting heavier into live air quote sports with WWE, would you welcome a 100% streaming deal for IndyCar on the platform? Well, (laughs) all depends how old you are because I can tell you that Last weekend's qualifying for the Rolex 24, which was aired exclusively on Peacock, was yet again the subject of many cranky texts and otherwise from some friends of mine who are in their 60s and 70s who just all they want to do. And I know I'm saying I don't mean every single person, obviously, they're I'm sure many who are super good with streaming and have it figured out. I can just tell you, friends of mine who are a little bit later in life want nothing more than to be able to sit on their couch 
turn it on, go to a channel number they're familiar with, and have the racing presented to their face. Nothing more than that. <laughs> not a phone, not a tablet, no virtual keys being tapped upon or apps being opened. Grab the proverbial clicker, turn on the TV, punch in whatever number it is, 703 or who knows, and just have the racing in front of them on their couch. That's it. So why do I share that? Because based on IndyCar's most recent television demographics, its average fan is 55 years or older. So that leads us towards Patrick, very possible reality where the vast majority of today's fans are ones who probably would not love the idea of having to find the streaming solution to watch their IndyCar. But this does raise a great question, and we're not going to go all the way into it today or go much at all. What point does IndyCar say, okay, we love you. Our primary demo is one filled with grandmothers and grandfathers. But we need to pivot towards next generation fan, current generation fans, younger generation. Most of those folks are not ones who are really stuck in the turning on the television and sitting on the couch to view their motor racing or anything else mindset. So to appease its largest portion of its current fan base. I'd say this would be a terrible idea for the future, current and future younger fans. I think this would be a fantastic thing. It would also do the one big thing that we've been dreaming of. Just put IndyCar in front of a whole lot more people. No geo-blocking, I would hope. Something where someone sitting in Bombay wanting to watch IndyCar Free Practice 2 or sitting in Toowoomba or sitting in wherever on planet Earth could get that. And I think that would do massive things for IndyCar, obviously. Most any series, this would do massive things for them. IndyCar, though, just to close here, Patrick, is a unicorn among racing series where, not well, I should take that back, not just in motor racing, all North American sports, this is in literature shared by the series. This isn't just personal opinion. This is actual point raised by them in their own documentation. IndyCar has the oldest fan base of all major sports in North America. Football, basketball, golf, run down the list. That's where this issue really rises up. And is something that to me is a little bit intractable until IndyCar decides, obviously, any and all of our fans can consume via streaming. But this is an area we're going to push much harder into and hope we don't lose too much of our primary fan base as a result. Uh, Archie O'Reilly, you say, MP, hope you're good. Spoke to Callum Eilat last month. Said part of our hour conversation was around what IndyCar could do to grow. 
says IndyCar could benefit from limiting fan access. Do you agree that this could benefit the series? No, I don't. Uh, culture difference, right? Here, the more open, uh, that tends to be the thing that we like to do, make drivers a bit more accessible. I know that culturally, this is a really big thing. Talk to parents in particular, bringing their kids, see their favorite drivers. Sometimes they don't have a favorite driver going to that first race or whatever race, but they build that link and build that relationship because they meet whomever at that autograph session or wherever else. Uh, I think that is, it is something unique to us. He could then say, well, wait a minute, NASCAR is the most popular series in the country and they heavily restrict fan access. Formula One's the most popular in the world. Fans are allowed nowhere near the drivers. That must be a formula that works. Therefore, shouldn't you apply that here? It's great. Much bigger organizations, though, <laughs> right? The financial might of an F1 and NASCAR is very different than IndyCar in terms of what it generates each year. They have the ability, and they've been doing this for a long, long, long time. These are cultures that are baked in. If you go to an F1 race, you know that unless something really strange happens, you're not going to get within 300 feet. Carlos Sainz, Max Verstappen, and so on. That's part of what they are. For IndyCar to become more popular, restricting fan access, taking that access away from its existing fans... I might need to understand the math on how that would help because it would certainly turn folks away. And would that then somehow make new fans? Hey, have you heard about that series that recently said, screw you fans, you get less access? I got to go to that. Not totally sure. Uh, Callum texted me last night, so he's supposed to be here. So I'm going to find him today and ask him about this harebrained idea of his. And then it'll probably be really good. And I'll come back and apologize next week and tell you, disregard everything I said. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see what uh, see what I can get out of that knucklehead. Um, Ed Joris, let me drink some coffee here. Uh, full sound effects. Says, do you remember any IndyCar, Indy Lights team with a name worse than Visa Cash App RB? Um, I think, <laughs> yeah. Uh, wasn't it Cedric the Entertainer racing when he was involved somewhat briefly in Champ Car? So we had CTE racing. And granted, I don't think the uh, brain damage uh, known as CTE had been discovered by then. But in hindsight, yeah, CTE racing might not be the one that uh, time is going to remember. Most fondly, Ed. Uh, Jameen Tottle, you say, how many brand-new tubs are typically used in a season? Um, you say, in the all-oval days of the IRL, I'm guessing new tubs are needed more than now. Um, kind, you say, uh, thank you, and always praying for you and your family. Thank you, Jameen. Um, 
there's no freshening program that I know of among any any IndyCar teams on an annual basis. Hey, we use that new chassis in 2023. Got to get a new one for 2024. Hasn't really been the case. Teams will do torsion tests of the bare tubs. Benchmark if there's any new flexibility that it has, any new flexing and twisting that it's capable of doing. That's when a team would say, okay, this is not good. We want this to be as stiff as possible. That helps from a uh, consistency uh, in the car's performance. But I know as of last year when I asked, there's still at least one original chassis from the 2012 season, those brand-new DW12s, that is in use. So strong, good chassis. Uh Adam Kapiski, you say, MP, congrats to you and your 49ers on beating my Packers. Uh, says, looking forward to a great time this weekend when they play the Lions. Yeah, I mean, we've got to be honest here, Adam. That, that was a theft. Uh, I don't know what happened, but my Niners have been playing like trash lately. And uh, let's just say I will not be surprised if the Lions are going to the Super Bowl. Uh, but yeah. Um, let's see, you say, my question is on the technical front. The Rolex taking place this weekend. The thought came to me in wondering how pit lane speed, speed limiters work, especially when these cars are coming off in off the ovals for service, having gone 200 miles an hour. Uh, you also say, uh, best wishes to the family. You say, I can't help but think of the madness in the days without pit lane speed limits. Cars coming down at full speed. Yeah. Well, this is all through the magic of electronics. Um, this is instructions being given. Tells the, uh, the ECU to limit spark, limit all kinds of things. Keep that car beneath the prescribed speed. And you have the wheel speed sensors. Those are reading off of the front and rear tend to go off of the fronts, since in this case those are not driven, meaning there's no axle spinning them that could potentially create wheel spin or otherwise give a false read on the speed. Do you have the car accurately measuring its speed at all times? And yes, through the electronics, you have the motor being told, do not give any more power to allow us to go over this particular speed. And so it's actually uh, pretty pretty simple and well-defined. Uh, this has been happening for decades now, Adam. So with that electronic intervention, it's, it's really not too much different than, I don't know if folks still use cruise control much on the highway, but using electronics to tell your engine control module and all of its friends that it speaks to through the various sensors it needs to hey this is the speed we're holding and so motor and gearbox and everybody else stick here we'll be good so i wish it was some like super in-depth answer here adam but it's it's pretty straightforward it's everybody agreeing uh through the code that's written in the activation of a button um for this to keep a speed that will not trigger a penalty. Teams obviously are going to push right up to that. 
If it's 60 miles an hour, they're going to have it set for 59.89 um, and really and truly try and make the most out of that speed without going over. Uh, Lyle James. So Mars, after reading about Delar's F2 car and its ambitions to move the performance window closer to that of an F1 car, what are your feelings of the real possibility that IndyCar could drop a notch to third on the global open-wheel performance totem pole? Um, yeah, I mean, keep in mind, we do like 240-ish miles an hour uh, or more in a straight line and average speeds at Indianapolis at 230-plus. So I don't know of any other open-wheel car that does anything like that. So I realize if we're talking road courses, street courses, that an F1 car will mollywop an Indy car and that F2s are made even faster. That could happen too. But by and large, uh, I would say... Let's go ahead and not uh, restrict capabilities of a car just because F1 and F2 don't do ovals. Our cars, extremely heavy, as I've already mentioned, reason for most of that weight is safety. Make sure the drivers in those 230-ish miles an hour type crashes are super protected in ways that an F1 and F2 car just do not have to have and therefore don't. So, yeah, a couple caveats here just to keep in mind. Um, take an F1 car, F2 car to Indianapolis. They'd certainly be quick uh, because they're significantly lighter. Also, in at least one case, more powerful. But uh, without modifications, we'd be looking at fatalities in a big crash. So just got to keep those things in mind here if we're talking about ranking what's what. Very different creatures, very different things they're designed to do. You say also noted in one discussion, uh, or you said also noted that no one in any discussion about the new F2 car, despite the current car having been introduced as recently as 2018, has claimed that the expense for the new chassis is going to sink all the teams and the whole series. Uh, what do you think needs to happen within IndyCar to bust this mentality, uh, and so on and so forth? Yeah, again, we're because over here. Things are okay. Why doesn't that mean something over there that's completely different is the same way? I would not apply that mindset here at all, brother. F2 for what they do, the budgets to compete, very different than what it costs to compete in IndyCar. One of the things that happens, as a quick example, on an annual basis for the past many, many years, we will get a F2 driver before that F3000 driver. And they will realize they're not going to F1, have an interest in coming over here to IndyCar. Most of them pay full budget to compete in a season in F2, right? Whether it's family money or sponsors, whatever, just like we have here in Indy NXT. And they'll come to IndyCar and say, hey, great, I've got, the numbers evolved over the years. It was about 2 million a year, crept up to about 3 million. I've heard recently some offering around $4 million. They're bringing their F2 budget that just got them a full season there, wanting to see or hoping it'll get them a full season in IndyCar, which point most team owners here say, sweet, where do you get the other half? Because that's nowhere near what it costs 
to compete here for a season. So it's a, a way of sharing that what it costs to run a season in F2, even even with new cars being introduced, is a heck of a bunch less than what it costs to compete here. So knowing that the costs are double, if not more, higher than F2, this is where having to replace 10 cars, 12 cars at a team, because some of the bigger teams have that many. This is a significant expense. It's a little bit easier to absorb, smaller annual budget, not going to tip things over so much, but when you have way too many teams who are constantly struggling to reach and meet those much higher budget numbers, throwing in the cost of having to go to a brand new car does indeed complicate things in pretty significant ways. So two different worlds. All right. We go to our final question here from Aaron Steinbrecher. Aaron, Eric, sorry, I mispronounced your name. I don't know why. Um, Oh, boy. (laughs) Jerry, what are you doing, buddy? Uh, MP have a new plan for IndyCar to get new fans. It's fairly inexpensive. Incorporates what they're already doing. Its current fan base could be very supportive. Get new sponsors all over the cars and series that promote active, healthy adult lifestyles. Hymns, Viagra, etc., etc. That way, the current fans who watch races will be, quote, revved up and start making new fans. Uh, those new fans will be raised as the future fans of IndyCar, and boom, the next generation of fans have been created. Then IndyCar can start selling onesies, bibs, toy cars, you name it. You got sponsors, merch, and a future fan base that doesn't need you to be digitally savvy uh, yet. Uh, Roger Penske, call me. <laughs> Eric, you're priceless. Uh, thank you. Uh, and I did a little bit of editing here, too. Uh, yeah, because, yeah. Uh, thanks, MP. I'm ready for the season to start. Hope to see you at Road America. Enjoy the 24 prayers and healthy vibes to your family. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, you know, this is a really good one. Um, I don't know if all the products you've mentioned here uh, are ones that I'd want to see on a car. And for those of you who love your IndyCar and bring your children, we for sure would not want some of those brands. <laughs> but, I mean, you're You've got a great concept here. Hey, if IndyCar needs to get younger, how do you do it? Do you go and try and find new folks to know about it and care about it? Or do you just make new people? Eric, you are hired. You are the new VP of marketing at IndyCar. Report to 16th in Georgetown Monday morning, 8 a.m. for orientation. Uh, just, um, I'll try to remember to tell them you've been hired. But if not, just show up. Own the place. I mean, this idea alone. Uh, should have you just, you're going to be running the series here in a couple of years with ideas like this. So, all right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Bit of a shorter one here. Uh, look forward to more of your questions next week. When I do get home from Daytona, have a moment to breathe and rest a little bit. Get buckled into home. Oh, boy. We're going to have an avalanche of IndyCar content coming your way. But, Appreciate you all the questions you sent in, Jerry. (laughs) Great job here as usual on selecting the questions and ordering them as you do. Thanks to our partners as well, FAF Technologies, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. We'll speak to you all next week.